Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. All right, let's stand if you would, please, and we'll read Revelation 5, 1 through 14. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And hast made us unto God, our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was ten thousand times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever. Thank you. you may be seated. Of course, Revelation 5 reads very similarly to Revelation 4 in the sense of the honor and the glory being bestowed on the Lord. And it is bestowed on Him as Creator, Revelation 4. But what you see in Revelation 5 is that the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ, is the same as the one on the throne, though He is distinguished in the fact that God became man. You see Him receiving the same worship that is given in Revelation 4 is also given Revelation 5 to the Lord. I think it's most interesting that in this one chapter, the Lord Jesus is referred to as both lion and lamb at the same time. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he's the lamb of God that was slain. And of course, we know he's referred to as the lamb throughout the New Testament in fulfillment of the Old Testament type, and we'll get to that. By way of our our outlining of the chapter, the three sections we're going to look at it in... Uh, And they're going to overlap. We're going to go tonight, God willing, look at verses 1 through 5. 
as our focus will be on a weeping saint in verses 1 through 5. And then in verses 5 through 8, we're going to consider the worthy sovereign, the lamb that was slain, also the lion of the tribe of Judah, the worthy sovereign. Of course, the rest of the chapter centers around him and his worthiness to open the book. But then verses 8 through 14 is a worshipful song. Those are the three divisions we'll give you for this chapter. A weeping saint, verses 1 through 5, the worthy sovereign, verses 5 through 8, and a worshipful song, verses 8 through 14. Singer-songwriters would do well if they're going to write a new song. I'm all for new songs, all right? Well, I'm not for CCM as a genre of music, but I'm all for contemporary music. By that, I mean people who love God writing songs about Him. Amen? Today, we don't have, we don't have to sing just old songs. I love the old songs we sing. Uh, and as we've said before, it was said to me by the fellow that visits with us from time to time, uh, the, the, the old songs are not uh, uh, old or not good because they're old. They're old because they're good. Amen. But here they sing a new song. All right. In Revelation 5, they sing a new song to the Lamb. And uh, folks would do well to study uh, how that song was put together. What was the purpose of that song? Who is the object of worship in that song? Who is the object of attention given in the song? Worship songs should worship, amen? They should honor the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, they should give him glory and praise that he's due and, so, and should speak of what he's done for us, amen? And uh, so that, that's a little free advertisement there at the beginning. But uh, the fact of the matter is tonight we want to consider these first five verses and you find the Apostle John after what he's seen in chapter 4, the throne, and you see, of course, what we've studied about the throne. It ends there in verse 11 with the four and twenty elders saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. So John, his view has left earth in chapter 3 and looking at the seven churches. He's caught up into heaven. A door is open. He sees the throne. Then he notices in chapter 5, verse 1, it says, and I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. Now, if you're familiar at all the book of Revelation, let me give you an encouragement. I may have said this at the beginning of this series, but one, I think this is good to do with any book of the Bible, if you can, and when you have the time to do it, to sit down and read it from front to back in one reading. The book of Revelation, especially this is helpful. I've done this more than once. We're just starting chapter 1. Go to chapter 22, and if you'll do that, it maintains some continuity that you're not going to have if you break it up. Now, it's obviously fine to break it up, but if you can just read straight through chapter 1 to chapter 22, um, that I think that's very helpful in, in, in giving some continuity to the book. Uh, you're not going to overread the book, that's for sure. You could read it once a week, and you're not going to overread it. It's, it's got a lot in it. There are those who hypothesize that the book of Revelation was written in code, we don't believe that. There are certain things there that are allegorical. We know that even in this chapter we read tonight. We know that Jesus, when referred to as a lion, that's called metaphor. We understand that. We understand he's referred to as a lamb. It's metaphor. Even the reference to these angelic beings as beasts is somewhat metaphorical. We believe they're beasts, but we also know, speaking of cherubims, and so we know there's allegory in the book, but the Bible will let you know that when it's allegorical. It's going to signify that. The book itself was not written in code. It's not some coded, it's not some coded um, hidden message. That's Remember, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. The word revelation is, comes from the word apocalyptos, which means light. 
revelation. It would not make sense that God would give revelation and hide what he's saying. Amen? There are those who press that much of the Bible has a hidden message. This is, this is rooted in what we've called Gnosticism, hidden knowledge. Don't fall for it. Amen? Trust the Spirit of God to give you understanding. We have plenty of the Bible that we're ignorant of and need help with, but there's plenty of it that we can see, and there's always a spiritual emphasis and a theme. Revelation 4 and 5, the theme is that Jesus Christ is on the throne. Uh, he has a plan for this world. He has a plan for this earth from beginning to end. God's not taken by surprise. He is still sovereign. Uh, we, we can use that term. It's a, not a Bible word. You can use the term and believe the doctrine of God's sovereignty without adhering to the false doctrine of Calvinism. And I'm grateful for that. And so, uh, Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, let's just break this down and see a few things here. Um, again, we've entitled this point, The Weeping Saint, because in verse 4, John says, And I wept much. I think then this tonight is where the heart of this message is going to be. As I read this, and I think of the Lord Jesus commanding us in Matthew chapter 6, as well as other portions of Scripture, to pray for His kingdom to come to pray for His will to be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Uh, there should be a longing in the heart of the Christian, even with some of the horrible things we know that are coming on earth. When we read the end of the book, we understand there's a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's what Peter said, right? We are looking for a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. One of the, one of the indicators that we are in love with this world is that we're not too anxious about the one to come. We're not too anticipating of the kingdom of God coming. We are content to get a politician in that will make our pocketbooks work a little better for a little longer, things a little easier, instead of desiring the king of kings to establish his rule and his reign on this earth. There ought to be a yearning in our hearts to say, Lord, come take care of this mess. There ought to be a desire for him, so much so that if we heard the Lord is not going to come in your lifetime, we might be like John and weep much. The average Christian, and I, I, you know, I'm not pointing fingers, I'm listening to what I'm preaching right now, doesn't really love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We believe in it, but boy, may God help us to love it. The Lord told us in Matthew 6 to pray for it. Praying for his kingdom to come is praying for his return. It's praying not only, because you and I understand when you get saved, you are given citizenship in the kingdom, and his kingdom is then established in your heart. We understand that? But his kingdom coming on earth is the establishment of him as the divine authority over his creation, the restoration of peace. We understand that the millennial reign, he'll rule and reign with a rod of iron. He'll set things straight that are corrupt and filthy and, uh, and so forth. And then, of course, after that, we'll have a new heaven, we'll have a new earth, and uh, there'll be no sin, there'll be none of these things taking place, and our hearts ought to long for that so much that we're praying for it. The Apostle Paul said that the crown is for those who love his appearing, all right? Uh, and so when I read this tonight, and I read that when John heard, here's the book that has the record, and is when we understand what the seven seals are about, they are the unfolding of God's judgment on a sinful earth that's been in rebellion against him, it is God setting things straight that have been crooked. It is God executing justice in the earth. It is God taking over the government. In the end, he'll deal with Satan. He'll deal with idolatry and covetousness. He's going to judge the earth. Each seal is an aspect of God's judgment on this earth. 
And what John is brokenhearted about is nobody is qualified to execute God's judgment. No one is on earth is qualified to govern the earth for God for one reason or another. And that's, that's what he's upset about. Here's the book that God has written for dealing with his creation and yet no one's able to open it and deal with it as it should be done. And so that's where we come tonight. And that's the heart of tonight's message is we can learn from John, first of all, to have a love for the Lord Jesus Christ and a longing for his kingdom of righteousness so much that if we were to hear it could not take place, it would break our hearts. And yet, out of that broken heart, he's given hope. Amen? And so let's look here in verse 1. Revelation 5, verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I begin tonight in this matter of the weeping saint. We start with his discernment. In verses 1 and 2, John sees something in verse 1, and then he hears something in verse 2. Now, the Lord has been on his throne, but it's just now that John looks and he notices in the right hand of him on the throne a book. Now, this is not the book of life. We need to make that very clear. The book of life is already the Lamb's book of life. When we go forward and we study these seven seals, they're not, a book. They're not seals of life. They're seals of death, of judgment, of plagues. Uh, by the time we get to the end of chapter 6, six of the seals have been opened. Uh, chapter 7 is like a parenthesis. And then in chapter 8, the seventh seal is open, And out of the seventh seal come the seven angels and the three last woes and all these other things that flow out of that seventh seal after it is opened. But nonetheless, they are seals of judgment that God has already, he has already prescribed. They're already written in a book. So this is not the book of life. This is a book of God's judgment that, is, that has been prescribed for this earth for setting things right as we'll see as we move forward in the book. So, so on the right hand of him that sat on the throne, a book written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. Let's notice a few things about what he saw. The book, number one, is in the hand of God. Uh, this is a book written by God. It is what God has looked and said, because of this, I'm going to do this. And because of this, I'm going to do this. And because of this, I'm going to do this. It's God's just response to the rebellion and sinfulness of man, which is authored by Satan. And as we go through the book, we'll see that. But we notice it's in the hand of God. So this is, this is God's governance, okay? And we think about the book. How many of you, when you read this, you think of seeing a book like this, right? But we know that in first century, books weren't bound like this. This would be a roll or a scroll, and that's not super significant, other than when you think about it being written within and on the back. When you're writing on the back of a scroll, guess what that means? It's done. It's complete. This is a complete revelation of what God's going to do. There are reasons that we call the revelation the final, it's the final book of the Bible. It is the, the fulfillment and the completion of the revelation of God to man in writing. So when people come along and they say, God gave more revelation, not if you understand the book of Revelation. You understand God is wrapping things up. This book with seven seals that is in his hand, is his, it, is, it is finished. He's not writing another chapter. It, the number seven is the number of perfection or completion. And so this is God's final dealings with mankind. 
it is a, we understand as the seals are open that God's grace toward man that has been extended is now being rescinded. He has, his long suffering has gone long enough. And so the book is possessed by God. It is a perfect or complete book. That's indicated by the fact there are seven seals on it. It's indicated by the fact that it's written within and on the backside. It is completely full. God has written out everything that needs to be. So it's a complete or final uh, book that's been written. And it is a book that was private, meaning God knows what's inside, but nobody else looking at it could, not until we got the book of Revelation. There are things revealed in this book that Daniel the prophet was not allowed to tell. Turn, if you would, very quickly, Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, verses 4 through 9. I believe this is referencing the same thing. Here, we find when John sees it, it is sealed. But what happens in the book of Revelation is God removes the seals and preserves that for us in writing so we get a glimpse of what's coming uh, to this earth someday. Daniel chapter 12, verse 4 Daniel, of course, has written many things that correlate to the book of Revelation. If we study the in between those two books and compare them, Daniel chapter 12, verse 4, But thou, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book, even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river, and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, uh, how long shall it be uh, to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever that it is, shall be for a time, times, and a an half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. And he goes on to say some other things there. But I wanted us to see that there were some things Daniel was being told. He didn't understand. He said, Lord, help me understand what's going to be the fulfillment of this. He said, Nope, I'm not telling you more. It's sealed, meaning God had kept this knowledge to himself and he's about, from chapter 6 all the way on through, chapter 18, 19, he's going to open up the book and show us what he has prescribed for the end of the world. And so this is very preparatory for what we're moving forward into in the book. But John realizes this is God's prescription of judgment. It is a complete judgment. that It's, it's, it's as though a judge is going to write his opinion, okay? The Supreme Court is going to come up with an opinion or a judgment on a case. They've all written out all the justices. They have it sealed, and someone's going to open it, reading it, and everybody's holding their breath. What did they decide? Remember the, when, they, when they made their decision over the abortion case recently, everyone's holding their breath. What was their judgment? It's finished. John realizes God has rendered judgment, but it's sealed. God put a seal on it, and John's desirous to know what does he have to say? He's like Daniel. He's anxious to understand what God's going to do. And so we understand that the seals on the book tell us it was private at that point. God had sealed it. And the person that's going to remove the seals is going to have to have the authority and the ability to execute what is written inside, to be able to implement what God has to say. Uh, John Phillips, the commentator, said, This book is in essence the title deed of planet Earth the title deed of planet earth. And he said he can back that up, if you would, with what follows. Meaning, the what's going to follow is, 
God pouring out plagues on his creation. God punishing and pouring out plagues on the seas and pouring out plagues in the airs and plagues upon man. Whoever's going to open this has to be the, the holder of the title deed of planet earth and the ability to execute what is inside of that book or implement the judgments contained therein. And so it's a, it's a huge statement when the angel says, who's worthy to open the book? It's not just saying who's worthy to see what's inside. Uh, there's the one who opens it has to be able to do with it what it says needs to be done. And, uh, and so then that's what John saw. He sees a book that's in the hand of God. It is sealed with seven seals written within and on the back. It's a book that was sealed and needs to be opened to be able to see what is inside. Number two, we, we, when we're dealing with John's discernment, not only what he saw, but what he heard. In verse two, the Bible says, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, he's going to ask a question, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? In essence, who is worthy to implement God's government? And remember Isaiah 9, 6, we've been preaching through it. Front us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And what we're asking is who is qualified to govern God's creation on God's behalf. God told man that we were to take charge of his creation. We were our stewards of his creation. And you and I both know man has done a pretty terrible job by and by. It's just the truth. I'm thankful we can preserve natural resources, but when it comes to governing humanity, we are terrible at governing one another. Is it not true? No, we do not do well. Man says, I can be God. And it's almost God says, go ahead, give it a try. And as man has endeavored to be God, he has been a tremendous failure. But God said, I can become man. And as man, I can rule man and represent God. And God did in the person of Jesus Christ. While man failed to become God and has never been good at being a God to anybody, God became man and is the only one qualified to govern and so then the angel says, who's worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? Verse 3, we find not, not only John's discernment, what he saw in the angel in the book, but what he heard someone say, who's worthy to open the book? His disappointment is seen in verse 3. And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. There was not one man qualified to, to open this book and implement what is inside. It was noted, again, I don't remember which commentator said it, but there are many who've been willing, but not worthy. <laughs> Adolf Hitler was willing to try to govern the earth for God, but not worthy. Many have been willing, but not worthy. You think about this. When he says, no man in heaven or on earth or under the earth. He's dealing with nobody presently on earth. That would include John the Apostle himself. No person in heaven. If you could pull somebody back up out of hell under the earth, nobody in all of human history, no one could be found worthy, qualified to open God's book. Not one. Not one person worthy. Think about this. That means Daniel the prophet. Daniel is, when I think of, of, of men with godly character, characters like Joseph of the Old Testament, Joseph of the New Testament, 
Daniel, in my mind, they are men I aspire to be like. These are my heroes. I, I want to be the kind of man like Daniel where when my enemies look up and down me for something wherein to blame me for sin and wrong, they can't find it. I said I aspire. I, that is high moral character. I want to be Joseph when, when I do right and I'm treated wrong, I'm going to keep a right attitude. High moral character. Do you realize when God searched heaven, there was Joseph there, there was Daniel, there's Noah, there's Abraham, there's Moses and Elijah. 24 elders seated around the throne. Not a one of them said, I can open it. Boy, this ought to put us in our place, shouldn't it? Sometimes we feel like, well, I wish somebody would give me a shot at running the world. Ha, ha, ha. We would blow it. Every one of us. None of us is worthy. I think Christians, we need to pay attention to this. God's asking, who's worthy to open my book? Number one, God's way of dealing with earth and the problems in it, God is very patient, long-suffering, but when he deals with things, he's going to deal with it in wrath and judgment. Is he not? And there's not one person. How many of us could say, I am qualified to deal with every other sinner on earth? You'd say, eh. If I'm going to be just, I'm going to have to deal with myself in the same manner. Right? We know how to be just, but in being just, we abandon mercy. Then when we're merciful, we abandon justice. That's why none of us is worthy to open the book. So that John knows the book is there. It's been written. God's government and his governmental policy is included in that, sealed with seven seals. It is God's perfect judgment to be rendered and bring about and bring into fruition the kingdom that John and the other apostles had been hungering for since the day they met Jesus Christ. Remember what they were always wanting to know? When is your kingdom? When? When are all these things going to come to pass? When are you going to fulfill your promise to establish your kingdom, to restore Israel? When, when, when? And Finally, they asked him before the Lord's ascension. He said, look, that, the times and the seasons are not for you. That's in the Father's hand. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what he said in Acts 1. But the fact of the matter is they've been yearning for Christ to be on the throne, ruling ever since they had met him. They had some misunderstandings about that just like we do. But here John is disappointed that here's the book. The judgment has been written, but no one is worthy to open it. So that's his disappointment. Look in verse 4 at his reaction. By the way, in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, the Lord said he sought for a man to make up the hedge, and he found none. Thank God for the man Christ Jesus. Amen? He not only makes up the hedge, but is worthy to open the book and to execute and implement God's judgment. Look at verse 4. When John saw there was no one, not in heaven, not on earth, not under the earth, worthy to open the book. He said, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. I don't know all of the source of John's grief over this. I know it has to do with his love for the Lord Jesus Christ, his love for God, his longing for God to find. You know what this shows? John had complete and absolute trust in God. Because if this is God's book of, of governance over man, he is saying, that's what we need. That's what we need. We don't need another political party in the White House to make the world a better place to live in. How many of us have lived long enough to know that it doesn't matter which party is there, we continue to pursue sin as a nation, we continue to go down a path of destruction when will Christians figure out what we need as far as government is God? First, he needs to govern us personally because he can. 
But you know what the world needs? It doesn't need a new political movement. It needs Christ to return and set the thing straight. And it's not, listen, this is not some kind of far out thinking. This is not some kind of uh, spiritual rhetoric. This is what we need. We, we get so satisfied with, if we could just do a little better in this life, we get so focused on the temporal that we don't realize what we have waiting for us when Christ returns. If we did, we would get excited about his coming. I understand we need to, we need to enjoy what he's given us here. I understand all of that. People say something, well, don't be so heavenly minded that you know of no earthly good. I've never met anybody like that. I know what people mean by that. Don't, don't get your head in the clouds and not serve the Lord and people. I understand what they mean, but it wouldn't hurt any of us to be more heavenly minded. And you know what John is? He's in the spirit on the Lord's day. He is about as heavenly minded right now as you can get. He is looking at the throne and realizing the world. You know what? You know why I think John could be so heavenly minded? Do you know why he was where he was? He is isolated by himself on an aisle called Patmos at the end of his days, being treated like the scum of the earth because of Jesus Christ, his love for the Lord because of the Lord's love for him. And it's no wonder he said, even so come Lord Jesus. John had not just finished getting 100 presents for Christmas and saying, man, I want more. <laughs> he is anxious for the Lord. Amen? He is not in love with this life, not in love with this world. He is in love with the Lord and Life had taught him that. He, like the rest of us, have to learn these lessons as God teaches us. But I find this, when he heard that the book couldn't be opened, it broke his heart. I don't know if it broke his heart only because of the goodness of God or if it also broke his heart because of the sinfulness of man. What a sad indictment on man that out of the billions upon billions upon billions of men that have lived on planet Earth, not one man worthy to open that book including himself. And so I find here, either way, whatever all the reasons were that it broke his heart, whether it was a reminder of the sinful state of man, you know what that should make you long for when you realize how sinful man is? Even so come Lord Jesus. When you realize that someone needs to open the book and implement God's government, only Christ can. Even so come Lord Jesus. And so we find John's distress in verse 4. He's heartbroken because no one was found that could open the book. And then finally, we hear him given some direction in verse 5. The Bible says, And one of the elders said unto me, Do you ever? This is where my mind goes. I wonder who it was that said it to him. This is, a, this is another man. It's, a, it's one of the elders. John probably knew him by name. And one of the elders said unto me, Probably Peter. No, <laughs> we'll, not, we'll not play guessing games. And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, weep not. So John's weeping. He said, I wept much. I'm bawling my eyes out because no one can open the book. And then one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. He said, Hey, wait, John, don't weep. Don't weep. Yes, man is sinful, but remember someone came and dealt with that. John, don't weep. There is someone worthy to open the book. You're not, and I'm not. Nobody else is, but Jesus Christ is. Now, I want you to think about this. This is the richness of the Bible as a whole and the richness of the book of Revelation. What good would the book of Revelation do to you if you didn't have the book of Genesis? You know where we get the line of the tribe of Judah? It starts in Genesis chapter 50 when Jacob, the first time the word the last days is used, it's Jacob prophesying to his 12 sons, 
This is what's going to happen to you in the last days. And he says of Judah that he's a lion's whelp. Turn with me if you would there, please. Genesis chapter 50. It's Jacob giving a prophecy. And so what, what we find is in Genesis 50, there's a prophecy. And in Revelation chapter 5, we find who the fulfillment of that prophecy is carried out through. Genesis chapter 50, I said, it may be Genesis 49, actually. Forgive me. Genesis 49. Uh, Genesis chapter 49. Uh, the Bible says in verse 1, let me just read verse 1. Jacob called unto, him, uh, unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Look down to verse 8, if you would. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Uh, Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey. My son, thou art gone up. He stooped down. He couched as a lion and as an old lion who shall rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be, binding his foal unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. He washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. That's a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ to come out of the tribe of Judah. And then he references that not only is this one worthy to open the book, the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he is also the root of David. That references back, of course, to God's promise to David to preserve the, the uh, king on his throne. Uh, a prophecy when, when David said, I would like to build a house for the Lord. The Lord said, no, I'll build a house for you. I believe that's 2 Samuel 10, 9 or 10. I'll build a house for you, and, uh, and, and, and uh, on the, the king that's to come will come from your seed. So we know the David through the tribe of Judah. It's very interesting to watch the genealogies of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ and trace them back through Judah. And you read there in Matthew 1 and Luke chapter 3 and how the Lord fulfilled these promises. And what I began to say is what good, you think about this, here's Revelation referencing promises made and repeated through the Old Testament of the Messiah coming through the tribe of Judah coming as the root, but he's also the offspring of David. Is he David's father or David's son? The answer is yes. Jesus dealt with that with the Pharisees. He said, you know, who's the Christ? And they said, well, the son of David. And he said, well, then why did he call him Lord? <laughs> if he's his son, why did he call him Lord? And so if you don't have the rest of your Bible, Revelation isn't much good. And if you don't have Revelation, the rest of your Bible is left with some gaps, isn't it? God put it here. There's some seals in that book. This is, they're going to be open. But as we get into that, I just, I love the reference back to the rest of Scripture showing us the continuity of the Bible. And so he's the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And the Bible says he hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Now, this is where we're going to pick up next week in verse 5, focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. I got a little ahead of myself, but that'll, that'll whet our appetite for next week and how he is the fulfillment of uh, of, of all that God requires of man, the Lord Jesus Christ is. And he is the one worthy to open the book. Here's the thing. When the sinfulness of man and the deficiency and the depravity of man gets us discouraged and even depressed, you know what we need to do? Look unto Jesus. Isn't that what John is being told? Weep not. 
Weep not. Yes, man is sinful and not qualified to implement God's judgment. But remember, there's one who came to the tribe of Judah. Remember, there's the root of David. John, you don't need to cry. There is someone who can open the book and implement God's government on earth, and that's Jesus Christ. You know, I'm glad the Lord Jesus died for me. I'm glad he lives to give me his life and strength. But I'm glad one day he's going to come and he's going to set this wretched world straight. I can't and you can't, but he can. Amen. And so tonight, our title for this chapter 5 is, Who's Worthy to Open the Book? Well, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah and the Offspring or the, the Root of David. He's the one that's worthy to open the book. Amen. Amen.